0: good afternoon my dear brothers and sisters I'm so blessed to be here among you have this opportunity to have some fellowship in God's Word in His presence some of you know that I've had a real struggle learning Portuguese I think maybe in the nine years I've been there I've learned 10 words. And I want to teach you nine of them today. (laughs) These are very simple ones and I trust that all of you will learn how to speak this sentence in Portuguese. Very simple words so all of you should be able to learn. The first little word is ale. We pronounce it's the E L, but we I mean E U, but we pronounce it with E L sound. So ale, ale. Everybody can say ale. El. Okay. The second one is chi, like cheese. At the beginning of cheese. L chi amo. L chi amo. In Cristo. Now you know what I said? Now my response to you is, now once you say that, El Chiamo in Cristo. And I say to you, Tamben. Tambing. So before I give you translation, I'm going to say it to you and you say tamben to me. Okay? El Chiamo in Cristo. Now, you say, El Chiamo in Cristo. (laughs) We're not doing very good, are we? (laughs) But what did I teach you? You know, dear brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. Now, I don't think there's anything more important in the lives of those who are followers of our Lord Jesus Christ than for us to put this into practice. And I'd like to encourage us to begin, if you haven't already begun, in this process of manifesting the Lord's love to your brothers and sisters, that you begin by simply saying it in Portuguese because you know when we say it in our native language we feel sometimes awkward because you know what it says I love you in Christ and Também means I also love you so maybe those of you who may have some reservation about really saying this in your native language Maybe this would help us to get beyond that awkward stage and begin to say to one another that we really do love one another in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it needs to be more than words, but maybe this is a good place for us to start. El chiamo in Cristo. Também, okay? May the Lord help us. now as I am here before you this afternoon and I've heard my brother Dana share and my dear brother Stephen what I want to do is say amen and dismiss you (laughs) but I guess that's not being very responsible but I feel along with my two brothers how overwhelming this whole matter of spiritual inheritance really is we saw from what our brother shared with us last night it begins in the first book in the bible and it goes all the way to the last book in the bible and you and they shall reign with him forever and ever that's our heritage oh hallelujah my brothers and sisters so When I began to think about how I could share what was in my heart with you brothers and sisters, I remembered an experience that I had, I think it was 1976 or 77. A a brother in the Lord invited us to come and visit them in Rome, New York. Now this was in April. When we arrived there, there was still six feet of snow on the sides of the roads. So they had had a very difficult winter. And so we had gotten there and we got our rest and got up the next morning having breakfast together. I looked out the window of their kitchen and had this big pot out in the yard. And there was a fire burning under this pot. And I said to my brother, what's happening out there? Oh, he says, we are making maple syrup. So I just accepted it. And then I remembered as a child that we we used to do the same thing. We would drill holes in the maple trees twice a year when when the sap was going up and the sap was coming down. And my mother would take this sap and she would make some syrup for us. So I remembered that and then I said to my brother, my dear brother, how many gallons of sap does it take to make one gallon of maple syrup? Anybody have the answer? How many? Forty-six, he told me. (laughs) Forty-six gallons of sap to make one gallon of maple syrup. That's what I feel like. Even after I felt like the Lord made it clear to me that he wanted me to focus just in the letter to the Hebrews. And even when I took the letter to the Hebrews... and and tried to get some clarity about that, I still felt like there was still 46 gallons of sap in the container. So brothers and sisters, I trust that you'll receive this as a way of encouragement in one sense. Because our inheritance is beyond human ability to comprehend. Just what we have recorded in the word of God. And I won't be a bit surprised to find out that there's a lot more included than what we find out of the Word of God. Now, I'm not going to try to go there. But what I'm saying to you, what we have in our Lord Jesus Christ is beyond human understanding. And therefore, I hope you will be patient with us as we try to share and fellowship what little bit the Lord has made real to us. So we're going to focus most of our time almost the entire time in the letter to the Hebrews and this will be helpful I'm sure to those who are translating let's begin by looking in Hebrews chapter 9 this is the verse that caught my heart in the beginning Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15 Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15. The writer has reference to our Lord Jesus. For this reason, he is a mediator of a new covenant, so that since the death has taken place, for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, Those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. An eternal inheritance. Now I want us to look at five other places in the Hebrew letter. And then three other places in the scriptures. In reference to this matter of eternal. Let's go first of all back to chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9. And having been made perfect, speaking again of our Lord Jesus, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 6 and verse 2. We're picking it up in the middle of a sentence. Of instructions about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So in chapter 5, verse 9. It's eternal salvation. Here in this verse, it is eternal judgment. Now let's go back to chapter 9. Let's look first of all, verse 12. Chapter 9 and verse 12. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And then in verse 14, chapter 9, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve The living God. Now notice in verse 12. Eternal redemption. Verse 14. Eternal spirit. Now let's turn to the last chapter. Of the Hebrew letter. And read verse 20. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. This is the writer's prayer. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, when we begin to consider this matter of spiritual heritage, I found it very, very encouraging to see that this writer frames our inheritance in an eternal way. Now, it seems to me that when we talk about something eternal... It had to be in existence before there was anything created. Before there was a heaven or an earth, this inheritance was already a reality. That is, it was a reality in the heart of God before there was anything created. Before the heavens, before the earth, before the angels, before man. This inheritance was already a reality in God now you and I as mere mortals do not have the capacity to think in eternal terms now certainly by the working of the Holy Spirit we can get a glimpse into this this eternal realm but for you and I to be able to explain it it's beyond our ability and so it means that this, this spiritual inheritance that is ours in Christ, originated in the heart of God in eternity. Now I even hesitate to say in eternity past, or eternity present, or eternity future. Now this is our way of trying to make some sense out of eternity. But I I think sometimes we may create bigger confusion by our efforts to make some sense out of eternity. The fact is, brothers and sisters, eternity is eternity. There are no watches, no calendars, no way to measure time. This began when God began to create. So before God ever created anything, it seems to me that this matter of an inheritance... Was already something that was deep in his own heart. So, brothers and sisters, when you and I begin to meditate and think about and fellowship about this spiritual inheritance that is in our Lord Jesus Christ, which belongs to every born again child of God, no exceptions. You remember in Romans chapter 8, in verse 16. Where Paul says, and the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if we indeed suffer with him. We will be glorified with him if we suffer with him. So brothers and sisters, God had this plan in his heart from eternity, We don't know how long. Forever. Because our God is an eternal God. Now, I don't want to go back and look at all of those different facets that we mentioned here in the Hebrew letter. But I think it may underline something for us if we look at three other passages in the New Testament regarding this matter of eternal. Let's go first, well, I'll just quote them for you. If you want to turn there, you can. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what kind of life? Eternal life. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, the only place I know of that you can get eternal life is in an eternal being. And there's only one eternal being, and that is in God himself. So when we receive eternal life, in reality, we receive the eternal life of this eternal God. It's a gift. Not something you've earned. It's something that you are given as an absolute free gift. And the blessed eternal spirit brings this eternal life. And puts it into our human spirit. And we are born again. Born from above. So we now have God's eternal life dwelling in us. Again I say to you. This is the inheritance of every child of God. Everyone who has put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They already have as an absolute free gift. Whether you know it or not. What has happened is God, by the Holy Spirit, has put his own eternal life in you. When we believe in the Lord Jesus, he who hath the Son hath the life. It's that simple. It's not complicated. Now, only God can do it, but it's not complicated. And then we discover in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11. The eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose. Now, our brother Stephen this morning helped us to see that this matter of our inheritance is connected to God's purpose. So God's eternal purpose is related to our internal and eternal inheritance. Hallelujah. This is not just some off-the-cuff thing that God has done. There was much. I don't, I don't know what happened in, in the Godhead. What kind of a council they had that, it, that caused them to make this decision about all of these things. I'm just so glad that we have enough revelation to know that our God has do, is doing something eternal. And He's doing it in you and me. Well, maybe we'll fellowship about this a little bit later. But the last reference that I want to mention is in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. And if I remember what it says, this is First Peter chapter 5 verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory, Will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen. And there's another word. I've forgotten what it was. What? Establish. Establish. Who has called us to his eternal glory. Did I hear a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now notice... This is all something that God himself has done. Nothing has been done by any human being. So it's all cast in this dimension of the eternal. Whether we're talking about eternal life, eternal salvation, eternal redemption, the eternal spirit, the inter- eternal inheritance, the eternal covenant, eternal Glory, eternal life, eternal purpose. Oh, brothers and sisters, may the blessed Holy Spirit write this so deeply on our hearts that when we are encountering, and we will encounter you notice what Peter said, after you have suffered for a little while. And when Paul in Romans chapter 8 says, Those who are heirs and joint heirs will be glorified with him if they suffer with him. Now certainly we need to get some clarity about what is involved in this matter of suffering. But we should make it very clear to ourselves. There is no other way. This inheritance cannot become ours experientially unless we go through some experiences of suffering. We need to look at this very clearly and see that this is a teaching of God's Word. Not just here, but you can go, for instance, to Second Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul says that momentary light affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. An eternal weight of glory. Now, I'm waiting to sit down and have a conversation with my brother Paul so he can explain to me more clearly what he meant by an eternal weight. But I don't have to understand to receive it as God's wonderful, wonderful gift to us. So, brothers and sisters, please, don't become so enmeshed. So caught up in what's happening here on this earth. That you lose sight. That you have been brought into something that is eternal. That means it did not have a beginning. It never changes. It will not have an end. You remember in First Peter chapter 1. I think it's verses 3 and 4. An inheritance that is incorruptible, undefilable. I've forgotten some of the other language that Peter uses. But you can look for yourself. So brothers and sisters, I don't know what else I can say to you. that The Lord has made real to me. There is not a greater, let me put it this way. There is nothing more God can do. He has done it all. He's put it all in His Son and given His Son to us as an absolute free gift. We will never discover anything of any eternal value outside of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to get to know Him. And we need to learn how to enter in experientially to that which is ours in Him. You know the chorus we sang? He is my all in all? Is that just words? Or is that reality to you? When you go back, when you're living in your day-by-day existence, whether it be in New York City or out on a beautiful farm someplace, is he your all in all? How about when you and your wife are having difficulties? Or you and your husband are having a disagreement? Is he your all in all? What about when you're having an encounter with a difficult brother or sister? Is he your all in all? Oh, it's, it's not difficult for us to sing the song. But brothers and sisters, may the Holy Spirit underline it in whatever way to make it clear once for all to every one of us gathered here this afternoon. And I'm asking for myself and I hope you will remind me from time to time. When somehow you hear me saying something that indicates I'm not allowing him to be my all and all, you can say, Ernie, you remember? You remember? This is loving one another. So, brothers and sisters, we to become heirs of an internal inheritance. Paul also in Ephesians chapter three said that he had been commissioned by God to go and preach to the Gentiles. Not the Jews, not his fellow Jews, but to the Gentiles, the unfathomable, unsearchable, inexhaustible riches of Christ. Now is that just a sentence in the Bible? Or is this reality? Is in our Lord Jesus Christ an unfathomable, inexhaustible, unsearchable. All that we will ever need today, starting today. If you haven't already entered into it, I know you have in some way, or otherwise you're not even a child of God. But I want to say to you, my little bit of understanding is that we're going to be spending eternity. How long does it take to measure the unfathomable? How long does it take to find the unsearchable? How long, my brothers and sisters? Eternity. But we don't have to wait until we're ushered in to the age to come. To begin this wonderful, wonderful experience. You've already tasted of the world to come. By believing in the Lord Jesus. And the Father has given the absolute best to us. In the person of His Son. So I hope that somehow this will cause us to be hungry and thirsty for all that God has provided for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to focus some time on this afternoon. Now let's go back to the Hebrew letter. I don't know what your understanding is when you read and meditate about this letter but in some ways it's an unusual letter the writer himself calls it a word of exhortation now I haven't met I I can't remember meeting anybody who ever said to me Ernie I love to be exhorted (laughs) it's just the most wonderful experience for somebody to exhort me I've never met anybody have you? Maybe there are a few around who, <laughs> maybe for the wrong reason, but maybe we, we like this. Maybe it makes us somehow uh, try to overcome our guilt. Someone can tell us what a horrible, miserable person we are and how horribly we are living our lives. But brothers and sisters, this whole letter from the very beginning to the end is the heart of... love of our God speaking to his covenant people so that they will enter in in fullness to all the heritage that is theirs in the Lord Jesus Christ now what we want to try to do is to look at this from two vantage points first of all to consider together the matter of the covenant the new covenant that God has made with us through the blood of His own Son. And secondly, if we have time, to fellowship about our, our great High Priest, our blessed Lord Jesus. You know, dear brothers and sisters, we do such harm to ourselves when we don't allow the Word of God to teach us the reality of what is happening. I don't know, but it seems to me sometimes in my conversation with many of God's dear people, they think our Lord Jesus has been on a 2,000 year vacation. That after he finished his work on the cross, was buried, resurrected, and now ascended, he's been seated seated there at his Father's right hand, at the right hand of majesty, on a a 2,000 year vacation. It simply is not the truth. I don't know if this is correct for me to say, but it seems to me he's been more engaged since he went there than he was when he was here. He continues to do a very, very necessary work. Without his work as our great high priest, we will never come into our inheritance. And I say to you, I have listened to the prayers of God's people and it's very few whoever identify our lord jesus as our great high priest but brothers and sisters no high priest no inheritance if all our understanding is is mental understanding about the finished work of our lord jesus and a mental understanding about what he's been doing for these 2000 years after he's been exalted then we are not entering into our inheritance. All you have is a mental understanding. But this mental understanding needs to become revelation. As our brother Stephen mentioned to us this morning, the eyes of our hearts need to be opened to see. Now we can't look the whole, we can't do a, a, one, a 360, look at the whole thing at one time. But we can go. Degree by degree by degree. With the help of the Holy Spirit. Opening our eyes and seeing some of this tremendous heritage. the spiritual heritage that is ours in the Lord Jesus. As our brother Stephen said, when they went into the land, they didn't possess the land immediately. Had to put their feet down. Wherever they put their foot down, even though it was theirs, it wasn't theirs yet. Until they put their foot down. Now, that's what I have in my heart for tomorrow. Possessing our possession. Inheriting. Experiencing the reality of our inheritance. But today, I want us to focus on, rather than trying to explain so many of the details of this, maybe my other brothers will, will, will help us in this matter. But I want us to have some understanding of the relationship between our inheritance and the covenant that God has made with us through his own son. So let's go to some passages. Let's go to back to chapter 8 of Hebrews. And let's first of all look at what he says, quoting from Jeremiah 31. Beginning in verse 10. For this is the covenant. This is Hebrews 8.10. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Brothers and sisters, this is a word that the prophet Jeremiah... So, and maybe we ought to add to this just one verse from Ezekiel chapter 36. I think it may be, it help us put it in a, a fuller light. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. <clears throat> Moreover, This is Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now listen, verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Now, this is a new covenant. Now, we're not going to try to spend much time comparing the Old Covenant to the New. Now, if you find that helpful, you can go do it on your own, okay? You can take this letter to the Hebrews, and you can go and diligently search it and get some clarity about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Because I'm concerned, my dear brothers and sisters, that too many of us are still living under Old Covenant and not experiencing the fullness, the reality of the new covenant that God has established through his own Son. So, let's look for just a moment at what Jeremiah says about this new covenant. Let's go back to chapter 8. four things that we find here first of all where is the law to be written where is God going to put his law you know under the old it was put on stone something outward that men could see with their eyes it's not that they could not understand It was very easy to understand. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It doesn't take a PhD to understand that. Or any of the other things. But what was the problem? Why did God find it necessary to establish a new covenant? Because they were unable to keep the old. Now, if God just makes another new covenant, but he doesn't find a way... For those that he's making covenant with, for them to fulfill the covenant, it's not any better than the old one. But this is the thing that is so different and so wonderful about this new one. First of all, where does he put the laws? In our minds and writes them on our hearts. Now you see with with Ezekiel, he says, "I'm, I'm not just going to put my law in your old heart, what's he going to do? He's going to give you a new heart. And even with a new heart, that's not enough. What does he do? He puts his own spirit inside. So the new spirit is there to convey the law of God to our new heart. Now here's what has come to my own understanding. I think this new covenant was not made with the Adamic race. Did you hear me? The old this covenant, this new covenant was not made with Adam and his descendants. This new covenant is made with the new creation that began in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a head of a new humanity. If any man be in Christ, there is a new creation. This is the the one that God has made this new covenant with. Not with Adam. Because Adam, no matter how good the covenant is, we find in Romans chapter 8, that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Because they have a nature that makes it impossible for them to please God. So what does God have to do? He has to do something in addition to what the children of Israel had. There has to be a new man, a new human being, the, what Paul calls the inner man. You know, he talks about the inner man and the outer man, and Brother Nehru mentions the outermost man. But God's covenant, the heritage, the inheritance that is ours, belongs to the new man, not the old one. Now, this is liberating, brothers and sisters. Otherwise, where do you end up? You end up in Romans chapter 7. You are trying to fulfill God's desire by your old fleshly nature. And if the Apostle Paul, if there's anybody who could have done it, it would have been the Apostle Paul. What did God have to do with him? What did the Lord have to do with him? Take him through experiences. For he, his own testimony is, I know, <laughs> I know that in me, in my flesh, what? No good thing. And he amens. It's Amen. not loud enough. Amen. I'm talking about, about yourself. Is there any good thing in you, in your flesh, that can do the will of God? How radical are you with this issue? Is this just a nice sounding spiritual phrase? No, we have to all. If you are trying to fulfill, enter into and experience your inheritance through the efforts of your old man, you are destined to the same place that Paul came to. What was his place? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free? He didn't say hallelujah, but I feel like he wanted to say hallelujah. Thanks be unto God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's been done. Not the way we would have done it, but God found His own way, and He's the wise one. He did it the right way. How does He get us from stop? How does He get us to stop sinning, brothers and sisters? There's only one kind of sinner who doesn't sin. You know what kind of one? A dead one. That's the only kind of sinner. Who doesn't sin. And our problem is. We are still trying to take that old sinner. And try to get him to do the will of God. I want to plead with you. If you are still in that mode. You can call a halt to it right now. Because it's foolishness. It's a waste of time. It will not accomplish and You will not enter into the further dimensions of your spiritual heritage by trying to live by your own human energy and strength and wisdom, whatever else you are proud of, that you think you can depend on it and rely on it. To me, brothers and sisters, it's good news. It's liberating news that God has chosen to make a covenant with a new man who has a new heart, who has the Spirit of God living in him, to enable him to keep his side of the covenant. Why do we think we are different than Israel? Why? It's foolishness on our part. Somehow we've been deceived. I'm not sure how, but we've been deceived in believing that somehow we have an advantage on Jews. That is if Christian flesh is better than Jewish flesh. It just simply is not true. And it's true no matter how old you are. Dear young brother and sister, you can begin today to enter in, in a rich, rich way to your inheritance if you will begin to, disc- to recognize who you are in Christ, recognize that new man, Let the Holy Spirit help you to understand and and to bring you into this knowing. So, God's law under the new covenant is not something outward. It's something inward. It's in our innermost being. I don't know if you have read the letter to the Romans recently. but It's been a book that has been so precious to me for the last few years. And when we get to Romans chapter 8, you know the feeling I have when I read those first seven chapters. Paul has something inside. He, he's waiting to get there. It's something he wants to just blurt it out as loudly as he can. But before he can do that, he has to tell us about the other factors in related to this whole issue. So what does he want to say? There is therefore now no condemnation. That's what he wants to say. But he can't say it in the previous seven verses. I mean chapters. Because we have the guilt of sin. We have the power of sin. We have the the law that we're still trying to keep. And we spend much of our time trying to deal with those issues. Now they need to be dealt with. But we need to let the Holy Spirit... How do we put to death the deeds of the flesh? By your own human effort? No. Romans 8.13 By the Spirit putting to death the deeds of the body. That's how. You don't have the strength in you. You don't have the wisdom. Matter of fact, you don't have the courage. Sorry. You don't have the courage to put your old man to death. You love him too much. He means too much to you. Now how how can I say that about you? Because I know me. And I think maybe you and I are both descendants of Adam. I think you have the same kind of problem I have. But hallelujah, my dear brothers and sisters, our God has provided a solution. And that is to put the Spirit of God inside of us. And give us the wisdom, the strength, the courage, whatever else we need to eradicate from our lives the things That is not supposed to be there. So we can enter in in a full, rich, wonderful, overflowing way. To this new covenant. That he has made with us. So in Romans chapter 8. After saying there is now no condemnation. He tells us why. One of the reasons why. Why? (laughs) Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Has set me free from the law of sin and death. Think about it. How many laws of the Spirit? One. Our God in His great wisdom, His great love to us, has taken the whole thing and reduced it down to one law. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. When do you experience that? When does this become yours? The very second you believe in the Lord Jesus. In that life, that we have received as a gift, is this law. And we need to learn how to recognize and learn to obey that law. It simply means to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, by the Spirit to put to death, to pray in the Spirit, to worship in the Spirit. Everything to be done out of the energy and leadership of the indwelling spirit of God in us. This is a most important and necessary part of this new covenant. And brothers and sisters, without this new covenant, it's impossible for you and I to enter into our inheritance. Now, I don't particularly like reading books when I'm sharing. <clears throat> but there's one that I found, especially two of them, I found very helpful as I thought and considered this whole matter of our spiritual heritage. You know, I'm not trying to sell books, okay? <laughs> but I'm one beggar telling some other beggars where to get some bread. And I'm telling you, I found some very precious food in these two books. And it has much to do with our spiritual heritage. The first one is by our brother Watchman Nee, entitled The Better Covenant. And I want to read just one paragraph of what he has to say about the relationship between the covenant and our inheritance. Now it's under the title, The Relationship Between the Blood and the Covenant. But I want you to listen to what he has to say. What is the relation between blood and covenant? We may say that blood is the foundation while covenant is the document. The blood lays the foundation of the covenant, and the covenant reveals the document established in the blood. Now, listen. Without the blood, no covenant can be inaugurated, nor will it be effective. God enumerates in the covenant all the inheritance He is giving us. I'm going to read that again, okay? Listen carefully. God enumerates in the covenant all the inheritance He is giving us. And this covenant He seals with the blood of the Lord Jesus. On the ground of the new covenant of the blood of the Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, it is on the ground of this new covenant Of the blood of the Lord Jesus, that we come into our spiritual inheritance. Do I need to read it again? (laughs) It's on the ground of this new covenant that we come into our spiritual inheritance. Please, my brothers and sisters, I'm just trying to find a way to encourage us. But I discovered for myself, and I'm concerned that it may be true with too many of the Lord's people. We are ignorant of what is available to us as members of the new covenant. And we are, even though we have a desire to go on, if we're still living under the old covenant, not fully adva- taking advantage of what God has provided in the new covenant, the result will be failure on our part. We will not enter, we will not experience the inheritance that is ours because we are members of a new covenant. Now you know where this new covenant originated. Well, it's an eternal covenant, so where did it originate? It originated in the heart of God. But the last night when our Lord Jesus was having a Passover meal with his disciples, he took a cup of wine and he held it up and said, This is a new covenant in my blood. Oh, hallelujah. The Father and the Son made a covenant. And we become members of that covenant when we put our faith in Him. All the benefits of this new covenant are ours. Because the Father and the Son, He finally found a man, a human being, that He could entrust Himself totally to. And so therefore, through His precious blood, a covenant was made and sealed. It's an eternal, permanent, never-changing covenant between God the Father and God the Son. And you and I enter into it and experience the reality of it through our faith and our obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. So he puts his law into our minds and, into, and writes them upon our hearts because the Holy Spirit living inside of us but you know what I think my dear brothers and sisters let me try to illustrate it this way a couple of months ago my family and I were invited to be a part of a wedding and there's a brother who lived close to where the wedding was going to be and he heard that we were going to come and he has a, a nice he has two houses on a beautiful lake and he says why don't you come and spend the weekend in uh, in my house my house so another brother had to come and translate for me and we arrived there his name was Jose Raimundo very successful businessman but a very very precious brother and I want you to hear what he said to me and to my brother in the Lord when we arrived he said Ernie make yourself at home he said anything that's here any food that's here anything you need You just feel free to use all of it. Dear brothers and sisters, I'd like to encourage us this afternoon to say the same thing to the Holy Spirit. Make yourself at home. You have freedom to go into any area of my life. If you find something there that's not pleasing to my Heavenly Father, I want to cooperate with you to eradicate it from my life so that I can enter in in a fuller way to this new covenant that God has made with me. So if you haven't already done it, don't let too many hours go by. Find a place. Find a time. You get alone and you say to the blessed Holy Spirit, now you can do it sitting there, but I would encourage you to make it a little bit more serious than that. Go find a time and a place. Put down your Ebenezer. Say, this is a day I want things to change in my life. From this day forward. I want the Holy Spirit to have free access to every part of my life. And I will seek to be sensitive to him. Listen to his voice. And by his help, I will seek to obey my Lord. Now this sounds too good to be true, doesn't it, brothers and sisters? But this is New Covenant. The only way, the only way you and I can ever even think about entering into the fullness of this new covenant is if we allow the Spirit of God who has been placed inside of us to be the Lord, that we learn to hear His voice. Now the second thing that the covenant says, verse The last part of verse 10. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Oh, brothers and sisters, can you believe this God? We were his enemies. We demonstrated it. And yet he still says, Under the new covenant, when our Lord Jesus shed his blood and took that blood into the holy of holies of of heaven and sprinkled it out on the mercy seat, that covenant was established. And that means that God will be your God no matter what. No matter what you do, he will still be your God. And he will enable us to be his people. To have a living, loving, wonderful relationship with Him. You remember in John chapter 17 and verse 3? Our Lord Jesus is praying to His Father. And this is what He says. And this is eternal life. That they may know Thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom I have sent. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, we need to give more serious consideration to the fact that God, the only true God, the eternal God, is our God. I think we take this for granted too much. Do you know there's no way that you can enter into life in any meaningful way unless you have a God? Now the problem is we've had the wrong one. Who has been our God? Well, in some ways we've been serving Satan, whether we knew it or not. We find out from that passage in Acts. To deliver us from the dominion of Satan to God. So in one sense we could say that the God of this world has been our God. We didn't know it maybe, but that didn't make any difference. We were still serving him. But you know who else is often Our God. I have a book in my library entitled The Kingdom of Self. You know the biggest obstacle to us entering in and fully enjoying our inheritance in Christ is that person that you look at in the mirror every morning. It's not your husband or your wife. It's not even Satan. You are the only one. I am the only one who can prevent me From fully experiencing all that is mine in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that sense, I have become my own God. He needs to be dethroned. And you need to let God be God in your life. You need to serve Him. You need to honor Him. You need to reverence Him. You need to have a great respect for Him. He's God. And sometimes we forget that even though we can call him father, that somehow we forget that he's God. Now I have two sons. They're five years in age apart. But when they were ten and five, one of the things that they enjoyed doing was getting down on the floor and wrestling with their dad. But you know the problem? Sometimes they forgot It was dad that they were wrestling with. Because it became so common, so ordinary. Just something things kids do. And they began to do things and take advantages of dad that was not appropriate. Now I want to encourage us not to do that with our God. He is God. He is almighty God. He is the eternal God. He is the holy, righteous, sovereign God. And even though we can call Him Father, we should never, ever, ever forget that He's God. And He's our God. And we ought to rejoice that we have a God who's full of compassion, who's merciful, who gives grace upon grace upon grace and never stops giving. But that does not give us any liberty at all to somehow think wrongly about Him, say things that are insulting about Him, or in any way show any kind of disrespect. We are His people, hallelujah. But He is our God. The third thing that the New Covenant tells us is that we shall all know him from the least to the greatest. My young brothers and sisters, hallelujah. I want to tell you, you don't have to wait till you get gray hair to grow in your knowing of the Lord. Matter of fact, some of us who have gray hair still have miles to go before we can sleep. Some of us wasted a lot of years going the wrong direction. But I'm saying to you, it's not necessary. You can start right now from the least to the greatest. From the youngest to the oldest. The day you come to know the Lord. Isn't that interesting? We use that language. The day I come to know the Lord. But it seems like the knowing stops there. But how long do you think it's going to take us to know Him? Hmm? Eternity? I think so. But you can start now. And so the Holy Spirit, the blessed Holy Spirit of the eternal God, the eternal Spirit is living inside of you. If you are a child of God, if you have had a real experience of believing in the Lord Jesus, then He is already there. And He will help you in every conceivable way to bring you into a fuller and richer knowing of your God. In the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth thing he says. Is that I will be merciful to their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. Now when you read what different people have to say about this. There's different ways of looking at it. Now there's no question my dear brothers and sisters. In my understanding of the scriptures. That the only way. That we can come into a living relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, is for us to be justified. Something has to be done about the sins we've already committed. Well, hallelujah, the blood of Jesus Christ answers for all of those sins. But here's what I get from this. Just because you're forgiven, does that mean you have stopped sinning? Hmm? Anybody here, is that your experience that as soon as you knew God's forgiveness from that day forward, you never sinned again? Is that your experience? Then what do you do with the rest of the sins? What do you do with the sins that you've committed afterwards? They accumulate. Well, they can, but it doesn't it's not necessary. because first John, listen, First 1 John 1, nine. I'm in 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. My little children, I write these things to you that you may not sin. Brothers and sisters, our God is not playing games with us. He could never say to us, I write these things to you that you may not sin, unless it were possible. How is it possible? What kind of sinner? What's the only kind of sinner who doesn't sin? A dead one. so you need to go to Romans 6. Knowing this, that your old man, your old sinful nature was crucified with Christ. And you should be able to say, hallelujah. I don't have to start, I don't have to continue to try to improve him anymore. God's solution was to execute him through crucifixion. And we need to say what? Amen. No amens. But it needs to be an amen. Amen. And then you need to follow up that amen with reckoning the old man to be dead. When the opportunity comes, it will come many times every day. Romans 6, 11. Therefore, consider your old man to be dead unto sin and, and yourself alive unto God in Christ Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, it's not necessary. Doesn't mean that you will Not. But a provision has been made in this new covenant. You don't have to continue to sin. Because someone's living inside of you. It's impossible for him to sin. Christ living in you. Christ who is my life. No longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. If he's living in me then you cannot sin. It's impossible for him to sin. If he ever sinned, the whole universe will collapse and you and I will not be here talking about it. So when we obey his life, then we will not sin. But you remember in First John, My little children, I write these things to you that you may not sin, but if you do, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sins, He is righteous and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us even afterwards. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't include what happened previously. But, brothers and sisters, you and I need to know experientially that this is our inheritance. You don't have to go on feeling the guilt and the weight of unconfessed sin. Doesn't give you a license to sin. But hallelujah, in the new covenant, a provision has been made. And you and I need to be living in the good of it. Doesn't need to be just a teaching. Certainly we need to be taught. But it's something we need to practice. And when the Holy Spirit makes it clear to us that you have done something that's been displeasing to your Lord, don't be so stubborn. Learn to repent. Repent. Learn to face the reality. Learn to turn your back on it. Learn to ask for forgiveness and to take the cleansing so you can go on fully enjoying your inheritance in a fuller way. Well, brothers and sisters, the time is gone. But I want to say to you, there is no excuse. I'm sorry. There may be reasons. Maybe you're not informed the way you ought to be. But I want to say to us, this afternoon. In my understanding of the Word of God, there is no excuse for us to go on living lives that are dishonoring to our Lord. A provision has been made. We have someone living inside of us that can enable us to overcome in any and every situation. Now, are we going to live in it 100%? I'm telling you, I can't. I don't I'll say I can't. I'm sorry. I can. If I do what the Lord requires, but I don't always do it. But that doesn't mean you and I should not have as our goal, our destiny, to have this as a reality, in our lives. I want to mention just one thing. What what time was it supposed to finish? Five or five fifteen? Five fifteen. Oh, I got a reprieve. Okay. <laughs> but I do want us to fellowship for a few moments about our Lord Jesus as our great high priest but before we do that what is this inheritance that God is looking for in us our brother Stephen this morning pointed out to us there are two dimensions to this inheritance our inheritance in him and his inheritance in us and I think what our brother said was absolutely true to me, it's the same. It's Christ. <laughs> Christ is in here. He's our inheritance. But what, God, what is God looking for in you and me? Huh? What's He looking for? Huh? Our own self-righteousness, our own human effort, our good platitudes, our having memorized whole books of the Bible, that'll help. Well, it could, but that's not what he's looking for. So there's some verses in Romans chapter 8. And I think we find the same thing in the Hebrew letter. Because I think this writer of of the Hebrew letter. His deep heart burden. Was to find a way. To help these dear brothers and sisters. Enter into the fullness. Of this eternal inheritance. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was happening. They started. But they didn't get very far. They had wonderful experience. Read about it in chapter 6. Would to God that all of us had an, a beginning experience like what is described there. But what happened? They fell away. They started going another direction. Their inheritance was not... How did uh, our brother Dana write that song? My inheritance is what? What's it, what was it, Dana? In that, that course that we just sang today. My inheritance is beautiful to me. It was no longer beautiful to them. But brothers and sisters, there's no reason why it can't be beautiful to us. It should be. Because it's the person. What can you, listen to me, what can we find wrong with our Lord Jesus? Have you found anything in him that you could put your finger and say, I don't like that. I don't want to be like that. Have you found anything? Then why? What happens to us? That somehow it no longer remains something so precious, so beautiful. Somehow we get distracted. We allow other things to get in the way and blind us to the reality of what is ours. And we, we settle for a counterfeit. And the enemy is an expert on counterfeits. And you and I become satisfied with counterfeits. I want to plead with you. For the sake of what God wants in you. To have the character of his son fully formed in you. Don't let yourself get involved in things that are going to, to somehow invade your life and prevent you from allowing the Holy Spirit to complete His work in you. Now, if it could happen to these dear brothers and sisters that we find in the Hebrew letter, brothers and sisters, it can happen to us too. And it has happened to thousands and thousands of God's dear people. Not because He wants it that way, but because we are foolish, very foolish at times. And Paul says, Don't be foolish. And I would just underline that, saying it first of all to myself Ernie, don't be foolish. And my brothers and sisters, don't be foolish. Don't sell out. Don't be an Esau who sold his heritage for a bowl of soup. Oh, brothers and sisters, how foolish. And don't forget. You can't make these kind of decisions and there not be consequences. We think that because our God is a God of mercy and grace, that somehow there will not be any consequences to these foolish decisions that we make. Was there consequences in the lives of the believers to whom this letter was written? You better believe there was. Read chapter 10. I don't want it to become negative, but you need to face reality. What an exhortation is, is honest, sincere warnings on one end, one side, and on the other side, strong encouragement. Brothers and sisters, there's not anybody, there's no human, none, there's no human beings in the whole world today who have more reason to be encouraged than those of us gathered here in this place this afternoon. We are in covenant. With the living God. A new covenant. For everything that is needed. For life and godliness. Has been abundantly supplied. There is never an emergency. In these situations. And you want to know what you you can do. To bring great joy. Is to enter in. And be a full participating member. In this new covenant. Now. The amazing thing is, we are so hopeless as descendants of Adam's race. That even if the covenant is there, we still need a lot of help. So what did our Heavenly Father do? (laughs) He chose to make His Son. Not just our Savior. Not just our Redeemer. Not just our Shepherd. But what? our great high priest. Do you know what he's doing for you right now? Are you aware? I mean, is this reality? Do you know what he's doing? you know what he's doing right now on behalf of all of us who are gathered here? you know what he's doing? He's interceding for us. He's pleading with the Father that we find a way to hear what he has to say. We will find in this new covenant the supply we need. This is what he's praying. That you and I will become those who enter in if we have to say radical, okay, radical. But for some of us, we have to become radical in some of these things. We've been playing games so long that we need to take some radical moves to enter in and begin to possess what is ours. And we need to recognize where the hindrances are. What prevents us? Who is the number one corporate? That person you look in the mirror at every morning. He's the one. And Lord Jesus, from the very beginning, He said, if you're going to be my disciple. Now, what? if we're His disciples, what does He want to teach us? How to live in the new covenant. How to enter in and experience our inheritance. And what does He say? If any man would be my disciple, let him do what? Say no to yourself. Deny yourself the privilege of being the boss in your life. Take up your cross and follow him. Now this is a possibility because of the new covenant. So that we can enter in in rich and full and overflowing ways. And can you imagine my dear brothers and sisters. What happened in the father's heart when he sees us as his dear children taking full advantage of everything that he's provided for us in the lord jesus what do you think his response is ah oh, his heart is full of joy you know in thinking about this time it came into my heart about john 15 I never thought about John 15 in light of our spiritual inheritance. But I want to share with you, first of all, in verse 1. Our Lord Jesus says, I am the vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Now what is the Father most concerned about? What's the thing he's looking for? Fruit. (laughs) So Lord Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. And you will bear much fruit. Okay? And someone read... oh Well, let's look at verse 8. John 15, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And then in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy... I'm sorry... Uh, not verse verse uh, verse not, uh, 8 my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples now what is this fruit I think it's Romans 8 29 and 30 those whom he foreknew he, he predestined To be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn. Among many brethren. You know what I think the father's inheritance is? When he looks at you and me. And sees his son. In us. Being conformed to the image. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that he will be the firstborn. And we will be. The many sons. He's bringing to glory. Conforming us. To the image. Brothers and sisters, can you imagine? I don't think we have the capacity. I don't think as human beings we can even think uh, in terms of what would happen inside the heart of God when He looks at you and me and sees His Son formed in us. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians? Oh, foolish Galatians. No. No. I'm once again. I am once again in travail for you. Until Christ be formed in you. Being formed. Transformed. Conformed. Now I don't know what it does to you. But I tell you what my brothers and sisters. My heart is full of worship. And not because of me. But because of the God. Who's made a covenant. With those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has predestined you. I, don't, I can't call of your names. If I knew all your names. I would call you by name and say. God has predestined you. God. My dear brother Dale King. God has predestined you. To be conformed to the image of his son. And I would like to repeat that to every one of you. Predestined. Who is going to prevent him from doing it? Nobody. But he would like for us to have full, he would like to have full cooperation. He would like for, when he says to the, this to us in his word, that you have been predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. What would he like to hear from us? Amen. get If it's not already started, get it started. Let's finish it. Let's go on. And when we say that, oh, my dear brothers and sisters, this is why we need to see this new covenant. The Holy Spirit. The moment you say that, this gives the Holy Spirit all the freedom He needs to finish this job. But one day, by God's doing, you and I can stand before this holy, righteous God and hear Him say to us, that's my daughter in whom I'm well pleased that's my son in whom I'm well pleased because he's working to conform us to the image of his son and he's been able to say that about his own son and he wants to be able to say it about each one of us what's your response? what do you think? hallelujah this is our destiny this is part of this inheritance that we have being fully conformed to the image of the son of God now think about it Where did God start? What was our condition when he started? Humanly, totally impossible. No way. But God has his ways. Puts the life of his Son in us. The Holy Spirit comes to bring that life. And then as we submit to the discipline of the Holy Spirit, he arranges all kinds of situations so that the character of the Lord Jesus Christ gets formed in us. It's all God's doing. It's part of our inheritance. I hope you want it all. I want it all, my brothers. I know that when I say that, the Holy Spirit is listening. But I want you to know, it brings joy to the heart of our Heavenly Father. For you and I to be hungry and thirsty for all that God has provided for us. This is our inheritance. Let's pray together.